reading of the scriptures, Romans chapter 13, reading verses 1 to 7, I invite your reverent attention and hearing of God's word from Paul's letter to the Romans, beginning in chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, the avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject or in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the ongoing debates that we are having in our culture is an abiding one, namely the role of government in our lives. As you know, many people uh, want a large and expansive role, and others want a limited one. I would contend from passages like the one before us that the Scriptures hold to the latter, uh, that God gives us governors, and He gives them a limited role. But the Scriptures are also just as emphatic that there is a role for civil government. And the scriptures are also just as emphatic that the only perfect and utopian government is in the age to come, that you and I know as heaven. And that uh, any attempts on behalf of civil governors to establish a utopian government uh, will generally, usually, almost always lead to tyranny. So it's important for us to remember uh, the proper role of government and, of course, that our only hope is in the government to come, and certainly may it come uh, quickly. Uh, well, I'm sure you, uh, none of you came this morning for a civics uh, lesson from Phil Bowersocks, but it's not really a civics lesson that's mine. It comes from the Apostle Paul. But it does raise a question, so why is Paul teaching us about the role of government? Well. Uh, I think in times like this in uh, the scriptures, uh, while we must always be careful about uh, speculating about what the text is saying, I think we can well imagine uh, by reverse engineering this text that some in the Roman church were saying, uh, I don't need to obey civil government. Uh, my, my only government is heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and probably, uh, like some of us as uh, 
uh, April comes around every year saying, I don't want to fund government, but nevertheless, we eventually uh, break down and perhaps do. So, uh, and certainly the government of Rome uh, levied taxes and um, tribute. And so Paul is going to give us a brief lesson in civics. Namely, that we have a duty to submit to lawful civil government. Uh, I hesitate to insert the adjective lawful, but I think that's critical because there's numerous examples in scriptures where we are not to obey unlawful civil government. We'll talk about those in a minute. Um, so God gives us uh, subordinate to him spiritual government in the church and civil government from civil governors. And they both serve under him. And they are both accountable to him. I always hear the argument, oh, it's incredible to me that thus and such civil governors are giving, getting away from something. They're not getting away from anything. Because in the end, they're going to fall into the hands of God. And so we can live at peace knowing that he is sovereign and that he will bring all men to account, not just civil governors and spiritual governors, but each of us. Uh, it's also important to recognize that their enterprises are different and uh, must not be confused. He's appointed specific roles for each. And he is, as I've suggested, Lord of both. He appoints them and uh, they will give account to him. And whenever there is a conflict uh, between his rule, which is supreme, um, we're to obey him. And if there is ever is a conflict, of course, uh, civil disobedience is lawful. When lawful government transgresses its divine authority. How do I know this? Well, I know this in the scriptures. Uh, Exodus chapter 1, verse 7 is a classic example. Uh, Pharaoh says, uh, kill the uh, Israeli babies. Well, that's an unlawful uh, exercise of government. It's an improper role, obviously. And so what do some of the Israelis do? They, they disobey. Um, in particular, in Romans chapter 1, verse, uh, pardon me, Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, uh, the midwives uh, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, uh, but they let the little boys live. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, we have uh, the life of Moses. Uh, midwife could no longer hide him, so she uh, puts him uh, in a wicker basket, puts a child, Moses, into it, and sets it among the reeds uh, by the uh, bank of the River Nile. I suspect knowing full well that uh, some of the daughters of Pharaoh would come there to do whatever they would do and would see Moses and uh, rescue him. So again, what is that? Civil disobedience. 
against unlawful uh, role of civil government. Um, Daniel chapter 3, verse 18. Another beautiful example of civil disobedience in a time of extreme duress. Uh, the uh, religious court of uh, Babylonian emperor says, uh, let's uh, make a decree that's against the law to pray to anyone except uh, to you, Nebuchadnezzar, or the gods of Babylon. Well, that's an unlawful role of civil government. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, disobey the command. Uh, they will not commit idolatry uh, because that's against uh, the supreme ruler of all government. And so they refuse to bow down and to pray to the gods of Babylon. And they also refuse to bow down to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who usurps uh, divine person. And again, many ancient Near Eastern religions, uh, the civil governors were gods. So they refuse. Uh, so he's going to throw them in, obviously, the fiery furnace. But the point is they refuse, knowing full well it's going to cost them their life. Great reminder that you and I are forbidden to worship the gods of this world. Uh, and if it costs us our life, uh, famous words of Scripture, if I perish, I perish. So lots of, lots of civil disobedience in the Scriptures. Um, and there are examples to us that... Uh, the only really supreme ruler is God himself. Uh, certainly, uh, New Testament texts, uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, the religious rulers of uh, Jerusalem had become corrupt. As I will sadly tell you, many religious rulers in our own country and churches have become utterly corrupt. Uh, and, and they tell the apostles, uh, look, quick preaching the gospel. Well, they have no authority to do that. <laughs> oh, oh, that's, that's, that's a levy that comes from God. And so they usurp divine authority. And I would remind you, anytime civil or religious rulers usurp divine authority, God will destroy them. Because there's only one God. And so Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the apostles uh, answer the religious rulers and say, we must obey God rather than men. So uh, there is constituted authority in the civil realm. When it violates their constituted role, uh, we we must exercise civil disobedience. Uh, but we do affirm that um, while God appoints civil governors, and this is part of our own uh, constitutional system, while God appoints civil governors, they are not the source of our rights. God is. God gives us our rights. 
And civil governors, they take away uh, or attempt to take away what are our God-given rights. We have a duty to exercise lawful civil disobedience. Um, Kings don't give you rights. Technocrats don't give you rights. God does. And it's important to recognize that. Um, Because it's Christ himself who sets us free that we might serve him. Uh, And in our tradition, and I think this is also a biblical tradition, um, civil governors rule at the consent of the governed. And so in many respects, God is supreme. Then there's the governed. And then there's the governors. And, and they rule at our consent. And here again, it's a lawful role for civil disobedience. Um, and whenever governors forsake that uh, and disregard our consent, uh, they are on a path to ruin. Part of just simply uh, the history of uh, the world. But having said that, uh, and having affirmed that it's part of our own constitutional system, it places incredible responsibility and duties upon each of us. Because if our governors are to rule the consent of the governed, then we must Uh, understand and grow and uh, be aware of what's going on. Why is that? Because civil governors sometimes turn corrupt and want to take away our rights. Uh, Well, in our text this morning, verses 1 to 5, there is an imperative to submit to civil governors. It's not Paul's imperative. It's a divine imperative that comes from God. And no one is exempt from this. The text literally is, uh, let every soul be in subjection uh, to governing authority. Uh, The verb uh, subjection is is literally to order under. Uh, It's often used as a military term of rank, engaging subordination. Uh, Let's turn very quickly to 1 Peter. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. Notice for the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise who do what is right. So that the limited role of civil government is to do what is good for the people and to restrain evil. That's their constituted rights under God. Uh, I think that's a limited role, to do good for the people and to restrain evil. Uh, Paul gives us in latter part of verse 1 to verse 4 two reasons for the imperative. First, he says, uh, there's no authority except from God. 
and the parallel to there's no authority except from God is that they are appointed by God. So that their authority is derived from the people and from God. Because again, they rule at the consent of the governed and they rule under God. Uh, and I would remind you when, well, I remind myself, maybe you never do this. When I get angry at civil governors, I have to catch myself by saying, Phil, they'll give an account. Take a deep breath, Phil, and exhale slowly. They will answer to God, and they will. Uh, let's look at a couple of verses that speak to their derived authority. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. It's a confession of Daniel. Uh, I would remind you that Daniel is in a very perilous condition. Uh, he is in captivity because of the corruption of the people of God. He is in a divine court that's an evil, idolatrous court. And he's having to walk a very fine line. But walk it, he does. And he says to us in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it is he, namely God, who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. And he gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. Daniel is telling us he's going to survive at court because God is going to give him understanding and wisdom. And that he has the understanding that Nebuchadnezzar is on the throne because God put him there. Chapter 4, verse 31. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, gets full of himself, as is the course of men. Certainly, uh, civil governors do that all the time. They uh, breach their authority, and Nebuchadnezzar does. And uh, the text reads, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And in a moment, God takes it away from him. You recall the account, I'm sure. He becomes something of a cow, uh, living off the grass of the field, whatever, probably an indication of idolatry, uh, reminding the children of Israel that, hey, did you guys ever worship a calf? Notice what God is doing to the emperor. So who is really in charge? God is always in charge. Uh, chapter 5, verse 20. A different emperor... He gets full of himself. Those a big party. I think, uh, I think the context suggests that he knows that uh, politically um, it's in very dangerous times. In fact, he is. While he's still in the party, uh, the Medes of Persians have invaded Babylon. And so it's probably a big party to invoke uh, the blessings of their gods. Uh, by virtue of the <laughs> invasion, it's already a testimony that their gods have failed. Because the Medes and the Persians are coming. So uh, Daniel chapter 5, verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud, he behaved arrogantly. He was deposed from his royal throne 
and his glory was taken away from him. In fact, that very night, he was killed. So, just remember, God is always on his throne. And when emperors take divinity to themselves, God will destroy them. And this case uh, does. Uh, when they transgress, God will hold them to account, both now and in eternity. Uh, let's look at uh, Daniel uh, chapter 5, the account of, of, uh, of his ruin. And you know the story. Uh, there's a hand that appears and writes upon a wall. Verse 26. Uh, no one knows what the words mean. Uh, contemporary a commentator by the name of Gradanus uh, says that these are references to Babylonian weight stones. Uh, but verse, verse 26 to 28, Daniel's going to interpret. Uh, by the way, how is it that Daniel can interpret? No one else can. How is it that Daniel can? Because God gave him the wisdom, the knowledge, and the understanding. I know some of you sometimes saying, oh my goodness, how can I survive in this evil world? Well, God will give you understanding and wisdom and the ability to survive because he keeps his own and Daniel is being kept by God. This is the interpretation of the message. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. You've been weighed in the scales and found deficient. Uh, what Daniel has just told the emperor, you're a lightweight fighting a heavyweight bout and you're going to lose. Uh, many times civil governors become lightweights. Maybe they're lightweights to begin with. Uh, but they're in a heavyweight arena, and they should walk like you and I should walk every day in fear and trembling. Uh, for the Lord God of glory is in control of everything. And as I suggested that very night, he was killed. Uh, sometimes uh, we read in scriptures that governors are acts of judgment upon the people. It's a case of Saul. Um, God says, well, you don't want me to rule over you, so I'll give you Saul. And what was Saul? He was a disaster. So all the more so to um, be wise and careful, walk uh, carefully before the great God of heaven. Conclusion for Paul, uh, verse 2, is that to resist lawful civil government uh, is to be opposed to God's ordinance because that's their proper function in the civil realm. So if you oppose them, then you're opposing God. And that's a line we, we should not cross. As long as it's lawful. 
Civil governors come along and say, well, you have to shut your church down for three and a half years because of something that's going on in the medical community. Uh, so, well, where's your authority to do that from the Constitution? You don't have that authority, so uh, we're not going to shut down for however many years you're telling me. Uh, because that's transgressing their role. Uh, and recognition that they'll give an account to God for that folly. Second reason for submission, uh, verses 3 and 4, is that civil governors are servants of God. For good, and notice the text specifically, verse 4, for the restraint of evil. Uh, that is, to me, their limited realm for the good of the people and to restrain evil. I would remind you, in light of uh, a proper exercise of their role in the restraint of evil, I would encourage you every day to pray that the kingdom of heaven would restrain evil in the world in which we live because that's an important prayer. And to pray that our civil governors would restrain evil, because when they do not, uh, society and cultures become lawless. And that's a danger to the church. Nevertheless, we must serve God. The ascription servants of God is used in the scriptures of ministers in the spiritual realm. Two realms are different, but both are subordinate to God. And the means uh, for their restraint of evil, uh, as well as, I think, defense, is the sword. And the sword is used to punish, as well as, I think, uh, to promote national defense. Another illustration that their role is limited to restrain evil. very fond of the words of Thomas Jefferson. Some debate as to whether he coined it or not. It could have been Locke or someone else, but the government that governs best is the government that governs least. Promote the good of the people and restrain evil. But Paul is implicitly telling us here that they have the sword we do not. They are the authorized agents of God to effect punishment. Uh, and when men practice evil, they, sh they, they should be punished uh, by civil governors. Not to do so is to uh, revoke a role that God has given them, to which they will give an account, as I've suggested. Uh, Remind you of a, a historical example of this. Uh, most of you know that I'm profoundly committed to the Reformed faith. One of the great champions of the Reformed faith was John Calvin. Lived in the city of Geneva. A heretic comes to Geneva. And he's arrested by the city fathers. And the city fathers put him to death because they saw his evil, which heresy, heresy is the ultimate evil because it affects the path of the soul. 
But oftentimes people, as an argument against the Reformed faith is, see, look at Calvin, that rascal, he put Servetus to death. Calvin did not put Servetus to death. He had no authority to do so. The city fathers of Geneva put Servetus to death. Uh, and it's their proper role, and they perceived his threat to their city to be extreme, so they exercised the sword. It's very interesting when you study the Protestant Reformation, many civil governors were very friendly towards the Reformation to promote piety. And what is piety? Well, certainly part of piety is obeying lawful civil government, being a faithful citizen. It's a beautiful example in this of a German prince. He was concerned about the spiritual lives of his uh, his citizens, so he uh, got together a uh, court chaplain. Isn't that amazing? But we have a chaplain, a Senate, Congress, so he gathers his court chaplain and a professor at the seminary and says, write a catechism for me. And they did, because of his concern, rightful concern for the spiritual lives of his citizens. And we would, we would scoff at that today. I think history sometimes scoffs at us. The catechism is called the Heidelberg Catechism. Probably the most widely catechism that's used in the Reformed Church today. Uh, certainly in our own tradition, Declaration of Independence uses the name of God and even refers to God as Creator. They knew with whom they were dealing. And so it's important to recognize that certainly in uh, history, there have been civil governors that have ruled properly, recognizing their role under God to promote good and to restrain evil. Uh, the, the imperative, very interesting, is restated in verse 5. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And who's Lord of the conscience, by the way? That's right, the Lord God. And therefore, because he's the God of our conscience, uh, we, are, we are bound uh, to serve and render service to civil governors when it's unlawful to exercise civil disobedience. Uh, in verses 6 to 7, uh, Paul tells us uh, part of submission is in funding civil government. Um, because of this, he says, you pay taxes. Uh, and, and what's the explanation? Well, notice that because, because the governors are servants of God, that word as well is used of spiritual rulers in the church, ministers of God. So you can see very clearly two proper realms with one Lord above them both. 
We're to fund spiritual rulers. We come to church. We fund the church. We fund missionary endeavors. Uh, we fund the expansion of the kingdom of God whenever we can. As uh, God has so blessed us, we're also to fund civil governors because they too are the servants of God. Uh, Paul may very well have in mind uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 17. You know, Pharisees and Sadducees come to trick him. Uh, he says, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God the things that are God's. In other words, support lawful civil government. Uh, so Paul is simply enjoining upon us that we are not just members of a church, we are citizens of a nation, and we are to uh, render uh, subjection, proper subjection. Uh, if you are like me, and I have to be very careful here, uh, but sometimes you, you, as I've suggested of myself earlier, you get a bit angry. Uh, when our civil governors don't obey the laws uh, that are part of their constituted authority. Because again, they're not above the law either. That's what lawlessness is. Uh, to disregard, either implicitly or to break explicitly, uh, lawful authority, constituted authority, and when lawlessness prevails, certainly on behalf of civil governors, it's a very dangerous uh, condition for the church. Uh, that's why we pray, God restrain evil. Uh, but we also pray for uh, our civil governors, do we not? I mean, first, I want to turn to a text of this end, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, uh, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil life and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And so we fund them, but we also should pray for them. Why do we pray for them? So that they may practice good, so that we can live quiet lives and serve God according to our conscience constituted role from the scriptures. Uh, well, the greater news is that there is one exception to limited government and one great solution to imperfect government and governors, and that is heaven where the government is expansive and beautiful, and for the entirety of the good of the people, for their joy and their happiness, in which there is no evil whatsoever, from the prophet Isaiah, and sadness will flee away. That's the government you and I desire to come. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 
If you don't know Jesus Christ, this is a great witness to you to understand that there is a greater government yet to come in all of its beauty and majesty. It's, uh, it's begun, but it is not yet. And the not yet is our incredible hope. Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 6 to 7, is our hope uh, in the coming of Christ. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given. God in his grace has gave us a son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. How can that be? The zeal of God will make it happen. This is our hope. Uh, particular context of Isaiah 9 is an evil king, Ahaz, and the times were very gloomy under Ahaz. He was an evil king. But God gives the promise that he will replace the corruption of earthly rulers with the gift of his own son. And he is the very counsel of God. He fights and is triumphant for us. He is our champion. He distributes the spoils of victory to us. And what spoils they are in heaven. He brings prosperity and wholeness. Some of that has already begun, but it is not yet in the eternal state, but it has begun. You come to Christ for the forgiveness of sin and guilt. Wholeness begins to take hold of you and put the broken pieces of your life and your soul together. The great blessings that Christ bestows upon his people. Let's look at the government in chapter 11. Uh, verses 6 to 9. What will it be like? Well, the prophet uses high metaphor to describe it. The wolf and, and will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and, and the fatling together. And the little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze uh, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child put his hand on the viper's den. And they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's reminded to us that in the divine government of heaven, all sin will be eradicated forever and will never, ever again be permitted to come into the divine realm. There'll be no need for anger because we'll all be full of joy. Imagine that. Incredible. 
God will, by fiat and power, eradicate the curse so that we will live in peace under the greatest, most benevolent government of all time. There will no longer need to restrain evil because he will ban it forever. It will be thrown into the lake of fire. Knowledge of God will cover the earth. We will know him as he knows us. I will tell you, if you're not a Christian, you can join that government now. Christ is the door. You must go through him. There is no other entry point, no other portal whatsoever other than the Son that I read about in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. May God give you grace to apprehend that he is the Lord of glory. And to apprehend what eye has never seen or ear heard of the expansive richness of the eternal weight of glory that will come for all those who are his and will gather them together unto the most glorious future that we could ever imagine. So when you get down over sometimes the lawlessness in our culture, Remember the future that God has for us and pray that he would come quickly, that we would apprehend the blessings. And that by participating in divine government now, we will enjoy its fruits in the age to come. Uh, fruits that are described in Isaiah chapter 11. And I trust... Uh, when you get discouraged, when you get brokenhearted, when uh, governors fail you, as they certainly will, and uh, imperfections uh, seemingly are the rule of the day, that you will remember that God has his own governor who will come and institute for us world without end. And may it come quickly.